Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. I have in my possession a um, new book, I Thought I Was Going Crazy, Overcoming Stress, Anxiety, and Depression by uh, Daryl Webster, 29-year veteran clinical social worker uh, here in Washington, D.C., went on to graduate, of course, uh, George Washington University and Catholic University of America, award-winning social worker. Um, First of all, thank you, uh, Daryl Webster, for coming on. Uh, This is a very personal uh, story you've written, and as I was reading it, I, I, I was wondering... Uh, did you start off by keeping a uh, journal? First, let me say thank you so much, um, uh, Sir Joe Madison. Just, uh, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to talk to you. But to answer your question, uh, yes, I did keep a journal back when I initially started experiencing uh, mental illness in my 20s, and I was very intentional about recording the experiences that I was going through. So, yes. And 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 uh, how did this? Let, let's talk about your background, because uh, uh, usually when you know when you when you put together a, a a book like this and you get through the dedications, one of the first things that an editor will tell you is you know in that first chapter, that first paragraph, you really got to catch people's attention. Uh, yes. But you catch people's attention with the title. I thought I was going uh, crazy. How far back does this go? Well, the, the title, again, was very personal. In my in my 20s, I went through something I'd never experienced before in my life with mental illness. I, I experienced uh, multiple anxiety disorders, agoraphobia, which is the fear of going out in public, panic attacks, social anxiety disorders, generalized anxiety disorders as well as major depression disorder. Those things occurred comorbidly, which means at the same time. And it made me literally, I thought I was going crazy. That's the title. And in my line of work as a social worker, I've come across just countless people in my 30 years who have experienced the same types of conditions. And this mental health is a big issue these days. It's, It's so pervasive. It's impacting every facet of society. And when I talk about my experiences with other people, and I mentioned this title, people say, wow, that's exactly what I, that's how exactly how I felt. Your book resonates with me on a very deep level. But th- now, what what kind of neighborhood did you grow up in? And when I, and as I was reading through it and thinking about, how, you know, what I was going to ask you as related to the book in this interview, um, I don't want to give too much away. So, I mean, what was the neighborhood you grew up in? And then you talk about something called an orchid child. Yeah, so thank you for that question. I grew up in the heart of uh, D.C. back in the um, uh, post-assassination period of Martin Luther King. When D.C. went down, we were known as the uh, Chocolate City. In the neighborhood that I grew up, white flight occurred and drugs and prostitution and it was just a blighted neighborhood for many, many years until gentrification took place. And during that time, there was a lot of trauma. My grandparents raised me, 
I didn't know my father. My mom um, was was away. And so I went through a lot of challenges. And I learned through my research and what they call attachment science that when a child is disconnected from the primary caretaker, which is the mother, it causes some emotional, social, and physiological problems. And that impacted me. When you talk about um, the orchid child, I've since learned that I am an orchid child. Um, There's a famous psychologist called Tom Boyce that wrote a book about the orchid and the dandelion child. And his research shows that orchid kids like myself who have a genetic sensitivity gene that I have that makes us more susceptible to depression and anxiety if we are in living in very stressful conditions. And I grew up in a very stressful conditions as a child. And it's such a trajectory for a life of, of stress, anxiety, and depression. However, if you're an orchid child and you're living in conditions that are very nurturing and supportive, then you could thrive and succeed beyond the dandelion child who is very robust and can basically withstand any type of stressor. You know, interesting because what really caught my attention, we have a lot of things in common. Uh, one, I was reared by grandparents. My uh, absent a mother and uh, who I would see occasionally, uh, a father who lived uh, in the next state in in Michigan and would see occasionally. Um, I mean, I knew who they were, but it was but when it came to who are my parents, it was really my grandmother and grandfather Um, and and the same kind of a neighborhood. And so maybe that's why I could could relate to this book. Now, let me tell you what helped me, and then and you do mention this in your book, and that is there were we call them mentors today, but they were yeah. they they were teachers. Um, there were they might have been the minister, and there it might have been the football coach because I played football primarily. Um, who was it in 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 your life? that you talk about in the book, I thought I was going crazy. Yes. One thing in particular, what the research shows is that if we are living in dire or stressful conditions, if a person has one significant perfect person in their life who serves as a buffer, a mentor, if you will, that provides an attuned form of loving and supporting guidance throughout that person's life, that person can transcend any type of hardship or trauma. As it relates to me, it was my grandparents. My grandparents were salt-of-the-earth people, loving people. My grandfather would give you the shirt off his back, a very spiritual person. My grandmother was the type of person who, who just cared for the whole community. She even took in a young mother that had two young kids who was going through a domestic violence situation, and she took her into our home, and they became a part of our family. And so I learned by watching them how to care for and nurture the community and how to be very uh, empathetic, if you will. And that was a trait that has stayed with me my whole life. And then I had my uncle, who was a basketball player who went to Tennessee State, and he came back to the community and he invested in a nonprofit organization in the community where there was no such community organization back then. And he got me and my siblings and brother uh, into playing basketball. And that served us well. We went on 
to earn scholarships to some of the best universities in this country, and it was because of him. So those people, and even my high school coach, Frank Williams, he's passed away now. He was the person who, when I went to school, he kept me straight. He counseled me. He showed me love and support as a black male role model. And all those people, as they say, it takes a village to raise a child. They were the village. And that's what we're lacking in some form in today's society. Yeah, you you write about your uh, uncle, six foot seven, and uh, uh, and uh, they helped to organize uh, what was it, the Kings Kingman Boys and Girls Club, um, and 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 you and even uh, the late John Thompson Senior was was part of was part of that. Yes, Kingman Boys and Girls Club was just a savior. Uh, for all of us back during that era in the 70s, again, our neighborhood was blighted. There were no uh, positive outlets other than the Kingman Boys and Girls Club. It was uh, a place of refuge for us black kids back then. Um, there was so much drugs and violence just all around us. And when we went into those doors, we had a group of people who surrounded us with love and attunement and care and kind of buffered us from all of the, the, the mental anguish that was going on in the neighborhood. John Thompson Sr. Um, was, a, was a young guy, very involved in the community, um, connected with the community members back then because he wanted to make a difference in the lives of young black children. And they established Kingman Boys and Girls Club. Dick Peters, who was a, a white guy, was the benefactor, provided the, 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 pro, the actual physical property for the organization. And over the years, and my uncle led the way as the program director, and I think Keeman has had over 100 student-athletes go to some of the best colleges and universities in wow. the United States. And one of them is my son, who went to Harvard University and made history there. And, you, and your son made history in what way, going to Harvard? When he went to Harvard, they had never won any basketball championships. When he left there, they had won five. He left as the sole senior on that team as the all-time winningest basketball in Harvard. If you Google him in Harvard's history, and when he left there, Coach Amaker hired him as an assistant coach. But what I was most impressed about with my son's accomplishment, when he left, they honored him with the Male Achievement Award. And the writings in the article in the Harvard Crimson newspaper said, Christian Webster made a significant contribution to the basketball team, but what was more impressive was the contribution he made it to the broader Harvard community. His his empathy, his care for the community, and how he served his family and community with, with such integrity will go a long way in just keeping his name alive at Harvard. And that really was your really was your son was your son. Well, let me ask you this question: Has he read the book? I I thought I was going crazy. Has he read your book? And if he has, what did he think? And and he, what surprised? He, and and hold on. And what surprised him most about what he read about his father? What he he said that he he wasn't aware of the the the, the debilitating nature of my mental illness in my twenties when he was a toddler. He wasn't aware of the struggles and the hardship that I had to endure. He wasn't aware of just because when he was born, D.C. Word was the murder capital of the nation. We had 702 homicides in 1990 when he was born. And we lived in a very drug-infested, crime-infested neighborhood. And one of his, even his best friends was shot in the head and killed. And I worried with my son, will we make it out of that? 
And so when he read that, he said, wow, Daddy, you're, you're very resilient. He said, I thank you. Thank you for, for being there for me. And, and, and how did your life, uh, you have, I think it's maybe the last chapter, my life has come full circle. Uh, just talk about what you wanted to get across in, in that chapter. What I wanted to get across is that we see so much, so much in the news with uh, our, our black and brown children, some of them, some of them, in these marginalized communities who have uh, given up hope. They, they are struggling to find their way. They're, they're, they're committing crimes and doing other things. And I'm just I'm saying a small part of it because there are a lot of people like myself who come from those neighborhoods who are doing all the right thing and they're working hard. But for those people who are lost and those families and those parents who are struggling because stress is impacts of all of us. But what I was trying to convey is that I was in that position. I lived in those neighborhoods. I had the struggles. I was a poor student. We were poor. We, we went through everything everyone else in terms of those types of stresses are going through, but we prevail and that they can prevail too. My book is a blueprint for black and brown people in particular, but everyone who is dealing with the stresses of life. No one's immune to the stresses of life. And I wanted to share my story to destigmatize mental illness and to normalize what we all are feeling when we are under the weight of, of life in general. And just to let give them hope and, and to show them that you can make it. I'm, I'm, I'm just a living proof that, that anyone can make it for that matter. What I went through, the stories in my book, people who read my book are coming back to me in tears and saying, wow, thank you for sharing that. I never, you know, I, I never had anyone say and, and write it in a way the way I was thinking, how I was feeling. And you, you put it perfectly. And I really thank you for your book. So I just feel that the, my message has been well received and is going to impact and change the hearts and minds of countless people, and not only in D.C., but in this country. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about another individual who was important in your life, and that's uh, Mr. Amos. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, Kent Amos. And many of us know uh, Amos, Kent, uh, an amazing educator. He, uh, uh, he and he had... Uh, a, had fostered uh, uh, several children. He's received so much, uh, so many awards and accolades. But uh, he was very. Uh, what, how important was he in in your life? Thank you for for bringing that up. Yes, Mr. Amos. I, I was one of those young people that he fostered. I was in high school when I met Mr. Amos. I met him at a pivotal point, a crossing the roads moment in my life. Uh, he shared information with me that I would have never been exposed to in terms of what was possible as a young black male. Not only that, he was a positive role model for me in terms of the image that he set. Uh, he talked about speaking well and, and getting a good education. Back in those days, um, I was so impressed with the people. He knew any and everybody that was doing something positive around the world. I got to meet those people. But he gave me my first motivational book, Think and Grow Rich, which really changed my mindset about what was possible. He opened his doors to me and my teammates, and we came and we became a part of his family where we were able to go to his house and do our homework. He took me on trips to places I had never been before. Um, he would take me to places, and he would put me on a stage and say, Dara, I need you to, to, to go in and, and present for me. And I was terrified of public speaking. I, I didn't have any confidence in myself. 
he believed in me before I believed in myself. And there was people like Ken Amos um, who we need more people like that who can really be engaged and connected. And he was one of those buffers that I talk about that was there for me when I needed him the most. And when yeah, Ken, uh, and by the and way, he – yeah, and, and, and by the way, he all these things you talk about that he did uh, for uh, children in the neighborhood and foster, being a foster parent, he was an executive, very successful executive with, uh, was it Xerox, I believe? The Xerox, yes, sir. Yeah, was, and, was, and in yeah. essence mm-hmm. left Xerox, and like you said, he could have gone off to <clears throat> the and lived anywhere he wanted. Uh, yeah. But he he never he never left the community. He went right back to the community and and did all the things that you just uh, uh, mentioned. And in essence, I, I I guess you you would give him in part a lot of credit for turning your life around. Oh, for for sure. Um, those teenage years, as we all know, is a, is a very volatile period of development where teenagers could go either way. Yeah. He came into my life at the right time as a teenager when I could have went either way. He gave me another lens to look at life as a young black male. I was struggling with, with undiagnosed anxiety disorders and depression then. But he gave me he gave me a positive example and he he breathed he breathed new life in me in terms of what was possible and what was achievable. So for sure he definitely set the trajectory. All those people that I mentioned in this interview, they all served a purpose at the right time along my developmental spectrum. And he came at that critical time as a, as a teen, young teenager when I needed that push and that drive to get me to where I am today. Well, now, they're, they're, now the last chapter, as we, as, we, uh, come, as we close out, the last chapter uh, is, is titled and that is self-care, the start to healing. Because let us be honest, most of our neighborhoods, we don't have uh, psychiatrists or psychologists uh, in our neighborhoods. And, and we still have within the black community this concern or fear to talk about uh, overcoming stress. Anxiety yes. and depression. Yes. Uh, the, the, the subtitle of your book, I thought I was going crazy. So the last chapter, uh, self-care, the start of healing. Talk to us about that in the last minute or so. Yes, I'll just say self-care is critical for everyone's health improvement. It's something I had to learn to do over my 20, 30 years, 25 years since going through depression. In terms of the different types of activities, we all know exercise, meditation, yoga, um, more importantly, equally importantly, having someone to talk to when we're really stressed. Loneliness is a big issue today. There are a lot of people because of COVID who don't have a supportive, caring friend. Self-care is taking time for yourself. It's not a selfish act. It's really focusing on improving your, your overall social, emotional, and physical health. We don't do that enough in the black community. Our lives as a black and brown community are much shorter than other uh, cohorts in terms of the white population because we have so much stress on us when you talk about stress. But self-care is the key pathway to building resilience and, and living a longer health and also decreasing 
our, our chances of getting all these preventable diseases like high blood pressure, diabetes, there are a lot of autoimmune diseases that the research is showing now that are tied to toxic stress that we as black and brown people are going through. So I talk about that in my book. My book is a great um, a process in terms of reading that will get people on the right path who are struggling with anxiety disorders, depression, and just the stress of life. It's a great read that a lot of people yeah. will benefit from. And, and I'm going to tell you, it, it is an easy read. It's to the point. Um, it, you've got everything in it that a lot of people, as you say, can relate to. The book is titled My Story, I Thought I Was Going Crazy, Overcoming Stress, Anxiety, and Depression. My guest has been uh, Daryl Webster. And if people, quickly, we don't have a lot of time, would like to let a lot of time left. I wish we had more. Um, if they, How can they order the book? Yes. Thank you, Joe. Real quick, please go to www feeling f-e-e-l-i-n-g crazy with daryl d-a-r-r-y-l dot com that's www feeling crazy with d-a-r-r-y-l dot com daryl to order the book thank you so much all right thank you uh and 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 i strongly recommend everyone get uh get this book because just you know like you said in this day of the uh, pandemic and folks being isolated, uh, there are a lot of lessons in it for all of us to be quite okay. Because there are a lot of us thinking we're going crazy. <laughs> you hear that a lot, man. People, yeah, yeah. people are saying, yeah. this is crazy. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Daryl Webster. We'll continue more with Madison here on SiriusXM Urban View. You can listen to yours truly, Madison, the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.